G'day legends, wherever you're listening to Between the Ears with Luke McPherson. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on board, whether you're listening for the first time or or you're a fan. I, I'm going to say if you've listened to more than two episodes, you're a fan. So congrats. That's that's the qualification that I'm leaving. Um, maybe it's because that's an easier way for me to for me to call more people fans. But thanks very much for for tuning in to today's episode. Now. On the back of the weekend's efforts, where the Perth Scorchers won their fifth BBL title, BBL 12, I had the pleasure and the privilege to sit down with Wacker head curator Isaac McDonald and have a little chat to him about his life, his career and his involvement um, over the over the weekend and the summer of cricket that we've had here in here in Perth. It was really cool to chat to him and, and pick his brains, but he's a great guy, um, which you'll no doubt learn over the show but Isaac's only 25 years old so it's pretty incredible that he's already in one of the biggest curating roles in the country one of the most high profile and prestigious grounds going around the Wacker sort of has this great history and now they've moved over to Optus Stadium and he's trying to make that as as good a venue as the Wacker was for many years it's it's was really cool to sit down and have a chat with him and pick his brains about all different types of things from from his life. He talked about always being ready, um, which is really cool. He was in the right place at the right time, but you've got to be ready and you've got to be putting in the effort for when a job offer or something like that comes along that you're the guy that they look to. So it was really cool to have a chat with Isaac. Make sure you like, subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review, tell your friends about the show. It would really mean a lot to get more listeners. Um, We hit a little mini milestone uh, a couple of weeks ago after the Sammy Whitcomb episode. I won't tell you how many, but um, yeah, we, we hit a milestone of, of listeners, which was which was so exciting for me. Um, just the fact that one person, let alone the number that we're getting, is listening to this show. It's, it's really, really cool and definitely helps me to keep going. Um, so yeah, Isaac McDonald, he's on the episode this week. Whackerhead curator. I hope you enjoy. Let's go. Hello and welcome wherever you're listening to another episode of Between the Ears. Today, joining me, I'm very excited. I'll tell you where I am first. I'm sitting in the third row of the old Whackers membership stand overlooking the old scoreboard, the beautiful wicket and grass here, um, and a new sign that says BBL 12 champions. I'm joined by the head curator at the Wacker and arguably the sexiest cricketer in uh, the sexiest curator in world cricket. Uh, true or false? Can you do that? Can you tell me if that's true? Maybe we can do like a poll for the listeners. And... Yeah, maybe we'll let you know. Have you seen any other <laughs> other curators around the place? Is there any that you think have your number? Um, generally, if you're a head curator, you're at least tipping fifty plus. Yeah. Um, so I'm quite young for the role. That's got to swing the votes in my favour, surely. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's start there. I guess you. You are pretty young. How, how old are you? I'm 25. 25. That's pretty nuts to be the head of um, what's a pretty prestigious and historic association and in charge of the wickets here at the Wacker. Can you talk to me about that a little bit? Yeah, so I, I actually work for a company called Green Options, okay. who are a contract company who the Wacker have have hired to run, run the facilities. And the perks of that as well is obviously running the wickets at Optus as well as the Wacker at the same time. Yeah. So it's quite quite a busy role. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm quite lucky that I've been been able to run the place um, for almost a year now yeah. as the head curator. Um, previously working here as, as a, just a groundsman, so it was a really good career progression. Yeah. And it happened a lot quicker than I think anyone would have thought. Yeah. Um, right place, right time. A bit lucky. Um, but yeah, definitely the, the last three years have just been working working towards this goal and yeah obviously it paid off uh, 100% now mate before we start the show we always do gratefulness which is three things either you're grateful for or that went well for you in the past week yep what are you thinking do you want to go first I think you should go first you said you had three. I do have three ready to go. <laughs> but you just want me there. Yeah, you can kick it off. Okay. Set the tone. Well, when you said you had three, I thought, okay, good. I can put my feet up. <laughs> now I'm on the pump. So this, uh, this morning, uh, I had 
um, class at uni, which I'll touch on, but I took my pop to an appointment today. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, it was so cool, mate. He was dressed like dapper. You know how uh, old men always like dress really nice? Yeah. So he's got like the sweater, college shirt underneath. He's got the pants with the pleats like they, ironed in and they're just a bit above the ankle and he had like the slip on shoes with the socks and he just like it was just like it's it's very cool to be able to spend time he's been um like sick for a little while now uh he's 90 this year wow. i believe so it's just so cool to be able to spend time with him um i started uni last week started my masters Exciting. um down in freo so it takes me two hours to get there on the train but I really enjoy it. Like, I like the uni lifestyle, you know, reading books on the train, walking through Fremantle where I'm based, which is, which is really cool. And today I was a bit early and I thought I could either go to the gym where I can call a friend who had a baby, a nine-month-old baby. She didn't have a nine-month-old baby. She had the baby and then the baby is aged nine, nine months. months. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so um, I went and spent a bit of time with, with her just before this which was so nice. lovely babies are babies are the best man I do like them I just don't want one yet don't want one yet okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough they um but you can appreciate someone else's baby oh 100% and then you hand it back exactly don't have right to change nappies exactly right get a good night's sleep now you give me your three uh this week is this week or just the last seven days yeah last seven days okay this, this last seven days, I've actually been going for morning swims. Really? Every morning. Every morning? Regardless. Seven in a row? Seven in a row. Have you done more than seven? This morning was the seventh. The morning, yeah, okay. Where are you, been, where, where are you going? Uh, North Cot. You're going down to the beach? Beach. Going old school. Um, I get up quite early and the sun's not coming up as, as early as I need at the moment, so it's very brief. Ooh. Just in and out. Yeah. Um, but I have found that it really wakes me up. Like, yeah. I'm really relying on coffee. Yeah. Um, but I feel really good. Yeah. I don't know. It just, I never, going to the beach wasn't a thing when I was a kid. Like, it just wasn't what you did. Were you like, near the beach? I was about an hour away from the yeah, beach. Yeah, makes it hard. But now I'm like, geez, this is cool. Yeah. It feels good. You're awake. You're alert. Hit the ground running at work. And cold water, do you know anything about, like, Wim Hof? Have you no, done any of these? I research? hate being cold, but... Okay. Like but do the, you know who Wim Hof is? The Iceman? The guy that very, does the plunges? Very limited yeah, okay. understanding. Okay. But the water temp in Perth is it's quite too bad. generous at the moment. <laughs> so who knows how long I'll keep that going for. But at the moment, it's definitely So working. just a dip ahead submerged and yeah. then you're, then and you're then out? No, that's good. That's a little good. little refresh. So that's something I'm, I'm grateful for discovering this week. Yeah, good for you. And it's, um, it's one of those things that it sucks, but you know it's good for you. Yeah, like it sucks yeah. at the time, and it's a really good thing for your brain to be like, you know, we're doing this, and we know it's going to suck, but we're going to feel we're going to get it done. better for it. Uh, another thing is obviously to be a part of the last week at work. Um, you know, the uh, yeah, as as I'm sure we'll touch on, just the importance of of being in, involved on it, and and how much it means to me um, and everyone else. I suppose I was I was really happy with that. Um, this week and the outcome I thought the wicket played really well yeah I was just really happy with with yeah. just being in, involved in the way that I am yeah um, and I actually f- found a new coffee <gasps> blend that I'm using okay I've got a um, I call it it's like mock master, mock master the little drip machine that you can yeah. buy yeah and I um, so it's just like black coffee yeah and I've got a new blend this week and it's nice and strong yeah. And I'm a bit of a connoisseur, you know. Like Are these like beans? You're crushing them yourself and yeah, stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm a bit of a coffee snob. Yeah. Like if it, if it's not up to standard, I'll let you know about it. Is this one of the ones where you pour it through the filter and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, essentially, but kind of, it has boiling water that comes up itself and it drips, oh, it drips at a drips certain itself. pace yeah, okay. into a filter. Yeah. Um, so I'm real happy with that. That's fine. Where do we want to give a shout out to the, where do we get the blend? Where do we No, I'll keep these? it on my sleeve because oh, it sells out. It was very, very limited um, uh, okay. stock yeah. at this certain cafe. Oh, you go to a cafe, not like a wholesaler? Or no, like a it's, it was at a cafe. Like I was like, oh, I've never seen that before. I'll give it a, give it a whirl. And it's um, it's dark and it's chocolate nutty type coffee and it's 
unbelievable. Okay. okay. I'll keep that one up my sleeve though, just in case it sells out. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> now, tell me a little bit, a bit about your journey. Obviously, you've done a few stints around the place um, before getting to the Wacker and also before getting to Perth. You're not originally from here. How did your relationship to curating and this type of stuff start? So I'm originally from a place called Camden, which is about an hour southwest of Sydney. Yeah. Um, growing up, never played cricket. Really just was classic glued to the test, test match arena. That's all I cared about. And that's all I kind of knew about cricket. Um, uh, and then, yeah, so school really wasn't for me. <laughs> Shock. Um, but was kind of at a, a crossroads where do I apply myself at school to try and drag something out of nowhere or yeah. do I try and get a really good job? And funnily enough, the first ever job I applied for was an apprenticeship as a groundsman yeah, okay. um, at Sydney University. Uh, and I applied for that job on the Wednesday, got the job on the Friday and left school on Monday, started work on the Tuesday. So just all pretty quick. Yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, didn't actually tell my mum I was leaving school until I got offered the job. So I jigged school the day to go to the interview into the city. Oh, there you go. Um, got the job and then told mum, but I'd already accepted the job. So I told mum that I but you am going to leave school. Came from yeah. So that didn't go down as smoothly as I would have thought <laughs> so, but it, it, I mean, it paid off in the long run, I suppose. And then where'd you, where'd you end up after after that you spent a bit of time so six years six years at Sydney Uni full apprenticeship um, was kept on as a tradesman and then was offered a um, 2IC role at NT Cricket in Darwin yeah so packed my bags up as a 20 year old moved to Darwin didn't know anyone um, and grew up really quick yeah I, um, I'd previously been to Darwin for two weeks work beforehand but Never really thought it was a place where you could, like, I could live by myself. Yeah. Um, but the opportunity was just too good to, to pass back. Um, working in a small team up there, really, um, it's a bit of a grind. So it really puts some like, hairs on your chest working in an environment like that. And it's a totally different place to Sydney, obviously. Like, yeah. Demographic of the place. It, uh, you, learn, you learn what you can and cannot do in that place really quick. And then when did you end up in Perth? When did you first get here? I moved here on the 9th of Feb, um, 2020. Yeah. So that was three days before the COVID outbreak. Yeah, far out. So um, some could say that you're almost to blame. Yeah, I could have been on that flight, <laughs> yet, to, yet to confirm or deny. Okay, so you may have brought it over. <laughs> That's how we can introduce you, perhaps. The dirty Sydney guy that brought COVID. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, so you ended up here and then spent a couple of years and then you got straight into the, into well, the big dog role. Uh, yeah, originally I was only meant to be here on a working holiday for three months. Yeah. Um, but in that time, I was kind of told that because Sydney was so bad and COVID and everything was shutting down, it was probably in my best interest to stay here if I wanted full-time work. Yeah. So I made the choice to stay here um, full-time and then... Fast forward 19 months, that's the first time I'm allowed to go home yeah. to Sydney because of the border closures. So right. It wasn't uh, ideal, but um, I kind of was backed into a corner, I suppose, with, with, the, uh, with the choice. And in terms of, now we have lots of different people that listen to the show and some people have no idea what a curator is. Yeah. So I guess before we get to the end of the episode and go... Oh yeah, by the way, this is what you do. <laughs> Maybe we'll start there. What what is actually your responsibility as a curator? Curator's uh, job is to maintain the field, the, the, get the pictures, um, anything from chemical application, irrigation, um, bookings. So, but my, uh, my main role as the head curator is just to maintain and make all the pictures for the games. Yeah, so the pictures for like all cricket matches, people might think it's just the whacker, but it's not, it's Optus. So it ranges from you know the top test match, big bash, yeah. international games, all the way to you know uh, underage championships at the Wacker, um, Sheffield Shield, WNCL, Marsh One Day Cup, um, you know, any you name it, charity games at the Wacker. Yeah. So it's a pretty big, it varies the standard, but um, at the end of the day, it all comes back down. 
back down to me. Yeah, and it turn, uh, obviously we're getting you on the show as the Scorchers just won over the weekend. They won the fifth BBL title. I'll just check that sign over there. Yeah, I can, I can count <laughs> five. Um, so tell me a little bit about your weekend. Obviously, it was um, probably. Is there pressure? What was it? What's it like going into? You know that a lot of the cricket people in Australia and maybe around the world are watching your little patch of grass yeah. for three hours on a Saturday night. Yeah, I mean that 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 was pressure because I've never performed in a, like a crowd like that. Obviously, Test matches, the the wicket is more scrutinised because it has more play in the game. Yeah, and um, I think. If you if we did this interview before I, I hosted a test match, it would have been, yeah, that pressure's unbelievable. But nothing compares to the pressure of a test match and curating wicket for the test. Um, but in saying that, knowing how how passionate Perth is about the Scorchers and and WA cricket is like they back the Scorchers 100%. So we really really wanted to win this this title um, after not being able to play here for two years in front of a packed out Optus Stadium. Um, yeah, there was some pressure, yeah. not going to lie, but um, I, I mean, I kind of feed off it a little bit. It's so easy to get up for events, yeah, um, especially big events. You know, people are going to be there. Like, you, you play an important part, so it's kind of cool in that sense. You're kind of as close as you're going to get to playing the actual game and being have some importance, except, you know, you're not an athlete. You yeah. don't bowl the ball or hit the ball. Yeah, and by the sounds of it, you never played cricket so you'd be no good I reckon, if you got the chance. <laughs> I reckon a couple of school year six games. Um, I was good though, just decided to pursue other sports uh, yeah. like everyone else. Yeah, 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 um, exactly. You were the next big thing I hear, yeah, I, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell me a little bit about neutrality in terms of like, do you, as a curator, are you allowed to want the team from WA to win is that a and oh. I, as a side note I went to write neutral in my words I've spelt that completely wrong I reckon <laughs> that doesn't look right at all so so that's one another note I'll take is spelling lessons but tell me about <laughs> neutrality are you allowed to watch are you allowed to want WA to win yeah yeah I, I can I can go for the, the home state like, yeah and everyone would be doing that around oh no doubt no yeah. doubt um, but that's called doctoring wickets yeah and if you if you sway too much to one side, like a batter friendly wicket, you make it too flat. You're always going to get asked questions. Yeah. Not from not just from people from WA cricket, but from people around. Like, there's interest in all cricket games, believe it or not. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you do sway too far in one, you, you know you're going to have to have some tough tough conversations with people, and it's just not worth it. And it's going to be probably both teams are going to have to bat and bowl on it anyway, so it's not doesn't make too much of a difference no I mean like, there is extreme cases where people say oh you know we're going to pick five spinners and just rock up into yeah. a dust bowl like, yeah, you yeah. can do it that way but yeah I just, I just, it doesn't sit well with me whatsoever you know, just, you just got to try and make the best wicket you can in the conditions yeah. and what's suitable for you and what, what's possible for you and in terms of you touched on a test match um, and also the shield finals here last year that WA ended up getting over the line and you talked about the longer forms, obviously the pitch is more scrutinised. Does like, do the ICC or Cricket Australia, do they come and check in with you? What type of stuff do you have to answer for? I can't imagine you just give them free reign to, no, to do whatever not. you want. How does, it, how does it work? What are the ins and outs? Of um, so politics? for example, before we hosted the World Cup um, in October here in Perth, ICC have a wicket consultant and his job is to pretty much before any ICC tournament travels to the country and expects all the venues all the pitches make sure they're up to standard um, if he can give tips or help in any way possible he's he's happy to do that um, uh, and then there is guidelines obviously T20 cricket they want as many sixes yeah. and um, big scores and classic catches hit possible you know so you got to try and, and facilitate a wicket for that. Yeah. Whereas vice versa, the test match, they want a good even contest between bat and ball. If they want good batters to score hundreds, they want good bowlers to take fifers. You got to have, you got to find the, the even balance. Um, so yeah, there are some guidelines, but it's not like they give you a piece of paper and say you must roll for 20 minutes and then cut the grass and then water it and roll again. It's not not that structured. 
Um, but there is a general understanding between between all curators in Australia that you know we, the site, the type of test match that we want to provide to the, to the public. And it's, yeah, it's what what do you reckon that is? Uh, it's probably you know game finishing afternoon of of day four. Yeah, and at least a five and a hundred. You know, you want to give something to both plays of the game. Yeah. Okay. In terms of now, some people sitting here, obviously, we're out looking over the square, and it just looks like grass. Now, anyone that plays has played any cricket, some would tell you that they know more about it than others. <laughs> but it's a it's a bit more to it. So, how does how does it actually for the uninitiated? How do you like if it's going to be a bowling wicket? How does it? get created if it's going to be a batting wicket how does it get created is what sort of the difference in preparation or not um, relies on the uh, environment and the elements as well can you talk to me a little bit about that yeah so our most cricket wickets in west australia are made out of uh it's actually called waruna clay okay and it's just in waruna and yeah. that's why it's called waruna clay yeah and that sits about oh, high 70 to 80 percent clay content yeah which is crazy high it's the highest in the country okay um, so that's that's under the grass. It's not just astroturf or yeah. sand and soil. Yeah. It's all mostly clay. Um, and then, so the difference between like a, a batting wicket would be a lot drier in the profile, um, with less grass on top. So there's more, there's less chance of deviation from the top of the surface, and it's nice and hard on top. Yeah. All the way through. Whereas a bowling wicket would have moisture all the way through the profile, a touch soft on top, more grass, more chance for variable like variation when the ball hits the hits the pitch. Yeah, okay. And the cuz like pitches here are supposed to be hard and fast. Is that 80% clay? Is that sort of where it comes from? It's harder because it's a denser. Yeah, so clay the, profile? It, it, it gets harder than most clays um, in the country and it stays harder for longer. And that's why we get our cracking padding. Notorious for the wacky, you know, the big snake cracks whereas for example Sydney Sydney clay sits, you know, 40 to 35% clay and has more sand and silt in it. Yeah. Therefore, the cracking, cracking pattern isn't there, but it turns into dust. Yeah. And then that's where you get your spin bowling. And that's where, like, the, I think it's quite cool that in a, our country where every ground kind of has different characteristics. Yeah, like you go to, say, a Hobart or something and it's similar to something that you would see in England due to Yeah, it's, a, it's normally a, a green seamer because this is what the climate is, whereas here we get higher clay content higher temperature the clay just bakes 10 times harder than anywhere else um, and then you go to Brisbane in tropical weather all seeming around a bit Wigget still has good pace and bounce yeah now you said you're not very well you said that school probably wasn't for you I can't I can't remember the phrase but just then you're talking about like that's science mate so obviously <laughs> you got you got some sort of brain on you to understand that type of stuff does it ever really, like, because that's actually quite scientific, the things that you're saying, people, it would take people years to understand that. Yeah, I, I suppose, I suppose I was kind of at a, at a crossroads where I kept, where I got this job and I started to get really interested in the science of grass and, and soil and agronomy and was like, mm, do I apply myself at trade school and try and have a crack at, at being really good at this or do I just go through the motions like I have been? And it probably took me two years at trade school to realise that I could, if I applied myself, it kind of made sense a lot quicker than I thought it would. And then ever since then, I kind of haven't turned back. I've just been, if there's uh, like a new chemical product that is out, I'd read about it for days on end to it. I understand it. And um, same about new te techniques with wickets. Lots of people do reports on wickets and, and stuff like that. Um, but... Yeah, I just found myself wanting to learn everything I can about my job, which, I mean, not many people see it like this, but, like, I kind of, it's my life. Like, I love it that much. Awesome. It's, um, it's almost like an art, like, the actual... I suppose, yeah. I mean, you look at, you look at You got how, nervous there. You Obviously, I mean, you've you got the touch, you big masculinity, <laughs> man. You got nervous me calling you an artist there. I mean, it's all right, mate. It's a safe space. I mean, in Australia, we're quite lucky, especially in first-class venues. Um, your machinery is more times than not new and can work, does its job. You have a nice budget. Um, but you look at places like, like India and Sri Lanka, they're still hosting the same cricket as we are, like test matches. IPL's crazy, obviously. But 
the, the machines they do it for with and like the manpower is totally different. Yeah. But it's still like still cricket, right? Yeah, it's incredible. Is it almost like props to sort of you got to have more respect for these sort of yeah, nations a, that are hosting test matches um, with the amount of effort. You're right, we're very privileged in yeah, Australia absolutely. with lots of things. But, yeah, can you speak to that a little bit? About- I mean, that's just the resources and, and how they still, like, try and find a they, – they do find a way to, to present. Um, you know, obviously there's a big emphasis in India, like the spin, but that's just the clay yeah. and the climate, what we already touched on. So, um, yeah, to, to produce – what they do under under the circumstances is just it's unbelievable to think of and it is it is quite an international sport it's probably not the most in the world but there are so many different environments can you speak to someone like obviously here the pitch is um very well manicured and the sun's out and the grass is beautiful and green and obviously you've got all the bells and whistles but can you speak to um what other countries might be having a like what have you seen or what have you heard that other countries do that it'd be different to us that gives you a little bit more of that respect for them in terms of the type of stuff they're working with well i mean let's look at the next t20 world cup it's going to be hosted in the west indies in america yeah um america you think of cricket what how (laughs) How who (laughs) when but they're 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 like obviously icc very successful yeah their brand is enormous um and now i think they'll just they'll figure out a way how to get it like obviously Caribbean is so close. There's lots of people that want to get this event, like the event off the off the ground. Um, and I think, you know, how cool would it be? Just think of it like baseball stadium with a cricket pitch in the middle, and they're playing cricket in the outfield of the baseball stadium, like they have in. I think they played in Chicago. I think like when Warnie and yeah, Tendulkar, and Tendulkar and yeah, stuff. a few years ago. I don't yeah. know if it was Chicago or not, but like, just to think of that, like that's crazy. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Yeah, you talked a little bit. Um, uh, earlier about being obviously you're, you're quite young you're only 25 there'd be a lot of and this might be generalizing here but there'd be a few tradies that are 25 year olds that are just like i just go do my job get paid and have fun on the weekends spend my money in terms of you were like i'm gonna be here all the time i'm actually gonna fall in love with it and put the effort in can you speak to when does that realization come around and how do you flick that switch because it's a big commitment to be like i'm actually going to put the effort in i'm not just gonna half-ask it and yeah turn up to work i mean i think i think like it's kind of risk versus reward you've got to find obviously something that i'm not very good at at, as work work work-life balance yeah um but you kind of you know in this job if you don't put the effort in one you're going to look like a fool because your name's going to get dragged through the mud. Yeah. And two, you're not going to earn respect from the cricketers or association because everyone here wants good cricket wickets for all our good cricketers. And if you're not up to standard, you're going to know about it pretty quick. So, I mean, this is my first first um, season, summer, as head curator. And I really just I wanted to succeed no matter what. I didn't want to leave any stone unturned. Um, even if that means working every day, missing out on pretty much everything that your friends do. But it was just that I just wanted to make sure that at the end of the summer I could reflect and say, I did, I truly did everything I could to make this work. And if it didn't work, then I'd go back, look at the notes and say, okay, maybe we did this different date this time or don't do that or we need to spend more time here and not do, not more hours there. But, um, yeah, it was just, I really just wanted to make this work because you know, everyone's 25-year-old head curator, what's he knew? Like, it, there was some doubt there. I mean, I'm sure everyone has their, their doubts, but I just wanted to make sure no stone was unturned and I really just wanted to make, to succeed. How do you, how do you keep that mindset going? Because obviously at the start of something and for lots of people, they'll set a goal um, and it's very easy to, to set goals. Um, but obviously, in the suffering, I think it was, um, there was a podcast I was listening to, it was probably David Goggins, but like, um, dreams die during suffering. So like, you can have a dream when a, you're sitting at your ca- on your couch, and you go, I'm going to run a thousand kilometres. Yeah. yeah. And you're sitting on your couch, you're in the aircon, you're eating something nice for dinner, and it's pretty <laughs> easy there to run a thousand kilometres. But when you're 8Ks down the road, and there's magpies swooping you, it's a lot harder yeah, during course, that yeah. suffering. So how do you keep 
that mindset going when you're getting up at 4 a.m. to come and roll pitches or you're here on a Sunday morning digging out <laughs> up to stadium, which we'll talk about, which we'll talk about soon. How do you how do you keep that mindset? Is there a circuit breaker or something that you use to keep resetting, or you just know? Yeah, I suppose I suppose it, it comes back to me being my my biggest critic. Um, this summer, I probably prepared two wickets where I was like, oh, I'm not happy with this at all, and I made sure the next the next one was just blocked everything out, and it was just tunnel vision for that next you know five day prep that this is going to be better than last and it's going to be heaps better. I'm not going to feel, I almost feel guilty, but it's probably not healthy that I feel guilty. It's something I've definitely got to work on with my, it just comes with the role, the added responsibility and the mindset of trying your best all the time and knowing it's not going to work all the time. It's the same with sports. Like no one intentionally goes out and loses a game 3-2. Like it's just, that's just not life and it's not realistic. But, I think, yeah, staying switched on is quite easy. It's a bit like how footy players get up and say, okay, I'm going to switch on, you know, Thursday to Friday or whenever you play, and then Sunday, Monday, switch off, regroup, go through the vision again, and then switch on again. It's kind of like that similarity because we, we pretty much live and breathe every game. Um, so it is easy to switch off, but... Knowing that you do have to switch it back on, otherwise you're just going to feel the same dread like that you can feel during if you're not happy with the product they produce. Talk to me a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna get to other people's opinions and stuff, but talk to me a little bit about. It's a really interesting thing. I feel like a lot of anxiety and a lot of that dread that you talked about, which mm. is a really interesting word, comes from. I had a saying that I used to live by that if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear, right? If you've done the work going into an exam you don't have to worry about it yeah. but if you know that there was something you didn't quite focus on then you're going to be full of that anxiety and stuff now your job is highly scrutinized every test match there's things written in the lead up about the pitch there's photos of you in the west australian folding your arms popping the biceps <laughs> a little bit and then afterwards there's there's the same isn't there of the fallout some blokes get sacked if the pitch isn't right yeah can you yeah. talk to me a little bit about that that dread, that anxiety, that that pressure going into your job? Because some people listen to this and go, this guy mows lawns. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> but part of the podcast is everyone, whether you're an athlete playing in front of 100,000, whether you're Joe Blow who works in an office job or whether you're you who rolls pitches, everyone's going to experience some sort of pressure and some sort of anxiety. Can yeah, you talk to me a little bit about about that dread and, and how it involves itself in your life? Um, I'm hoping it gets easier when I go, like, throughout my career. Yeah. So, uh, I suppose going into the test match, it was my first first test match prep. Um, and speaking to other curators around the country, it's always the hardest one because you don't know really what to expect from it. Um, I kind of went in really openly, I'm going to enjoy this week because this is the most important thing I'm going to do in my career to date. I'm going to enjoy it as much as I can um, and just really concentrate on the positives, really concentrate on uh, the wicket readings, the moisture, the grass health and everything like that. But, but just soak it in because remembering I was a little kid watching the Boxing Day test and say, geez, it would be cool to be on the ground. Geez, it would be cool to have some involvement in this game. And then all of a sudden I'm here and... I'm, it's my job to prepare the pitch. Like, not many people can say that they've been involved in the test match game, let alone being the head curator for like a, a, a test match um, in Australia. So I really just concentrated on that. Um, and then two days before the game, that's when all the press and the media and oh, like I always say, if if you're if you're looking for pats on the back and and uh, congratulations from people. Cricket curating is not the job for you. <laughs> you know, you, you come to work, you slog it out. People score hundreds, they get the, the praise. It's, it's not you do the job. No, nine times out of ten, no one's going to care about the wicket, to be honest, unless it's really poor, and then that's when you get scrutinised. But um, the media starts two days before. Um, 
in the lead up to the, this test, it was so hot in Perth. It was 39, 38 degrees. So all the media for the QA is normally just done on the ground in a stand-up banner. Very small, you know, people holding iPhones in their hands. <laughs> Not mics, TV cameras. But I was lucky enough that it was too hot for the media to stand outside that day. So I got dragged into the press conference room for my first press conference. Perfect. Uh, about my first test match. And it just happened to be that Craig Brathwaite, the West Indian captain, mm. was five minutes after my scheduled time because they just slotted me in. Um, so there just happened to be over 50 um, news reporters sitting in the room. Not for you. Not for me. No, but, waiting for Craig. But of Craig. course, as soon as I uh, sat down, <laughs> there was one microphone going to, I think it was the radio, and then Channel 10 microphone, Channel 7, <laughs> SBS, ABC, Channel 9, Fox Sports, oh. cricket.com.au, and they just kept on putting their microphones on the table. And I think there's, a, there's a, quite a good photo of me that uh, is online. I look like I'm about to have a fit. I'm like, oh my God, what have I got myself into? So it starts off pretty light-hearted and, you know, general questions. Oh, what do you say about Australia picking Nathan Lyon? You know, this is going to be green and mean and, and all this. And and then there's like, oh, what do you think about the West Indies? I was like, I have no idea what to say. Like, oh, my God. It was so hard. I think I just dribbled out of my mouth for like 20 minutes. And at the end of it, the, the wacko media person said, you did great. I was like, oh, thank God. Thank God that's over. Um, so yeah, that's all before the game, all before balls even bowled. Yeah. Um, and then uh, obviously the game starts, and Australia absolutely thrashing them. How are you? F- so I wrote that down because how are you feeling? Australia are none for six hundred, and both teams haven't batted on it. Yeah. So as far as you know, maybe there was a few signs, but as far as you know. There might not be a wicket loss for this whole test. <laughs> you were like, what do you, what do you, obviously Australia went on to win and completely outclass the West Indies, yeah. but what are you, what are you thinking? Are you, how long are you questioning yourself for? Mate, it's, it's five days of sport. You yeah. could be potentially on edge. How are you supposed to cope with that amount of fight and flight energy in your body that whole time? Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely something that I don't, handle well yeah. I, I completely I completely shut off I, I don't talk I really like, I think I think you know me well enough to know that and you know I, I can chew the years off anyone yeah but under a bit of stress especially at work it's probably the only time I really feel a bit of stress I I, I struggle I really struggle because I, I, I have so much investment in this game I want it to go well and at the end of the day if people know it's my wicket what, like, what are they going to think but I mean that's part of the game um, so yeah I, I, I ride every ball um, to the extreme one point or the other you know so it's it's definitely something I need to get better at um, but I thought it's just tough because not that you read into anything like that because you've got to if you do I'm just not going to be very successful in the long run. It's going to have a very short career and it's just not going to favour in my way whatsoever. So um, it is something that is quite funny because so when I first started looking after the wickets at the Wacker and I was kind of in the running to be the head curator, um, that wicket went meant so much to me. That was the most important wicket. And then you go, OK, I'm going to host the Shield final. And then that's now the most important wicket. And then first international it's like a new level of care and a new level of responsibility and stress whereas the first three wickets just kind of seem like a walk in the park yeah and then you get to the top maintain the stress new stress new stress and then you look back and say oh i've come so far and you look at how you felt for the first game at the wacker compared to now you're making international wickets at the stadium it's you look back and you almost say why were you stressed then yeah and then now you look back and say, oh, if you're stressed then, then why are you stressed now? Yeah. Like, what's, what's the, the change in thinking? And it's definitely something that I always think about, especially when I do feel a bit under the pump. Um, because, I mean, if you have a bad day at work, and you, especially towards the end of a wicket prep, you can seriously stuff up a wicket if you don't, yeah. don't have your, your, like, your, your, your thinking correctly. Um, and then you're just going to pay for 
pay the price in the long run. It's almost like you're giving yourself the confidence of, like you talked about those wickets, of I can achieve anything. Yeah, yeah you're And right. it's the same as when you're going through a rough patch or something. That's why I, I, I journal. I journal all my feelings and I, I read back through it the other day. And I'm reading this stuff and I remember writing most of them being like, oh, that sucked. That really sucked. But I'm over that now. And then I turn the page, oh, that sucked. But I'm over that now. And then you're writing something today and you go, well, for those times, they were the most important thing. And I thought, nothing's ever going to get any worse. This is so hard. And now there's a new thing. There's always going to be a new hill, but you know for a fact that you've cleared a few other hurdles in the past. It's sort of, you're giving yourself the confidence. Can you speak to that a little bit? I suppose it's, it's, I mean... It's quite hard to talk about yourself, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Sorry, mate. I should have told you that's what the podcast is about. No, but it's like when you, if you were preparing your first wicket before the, when the job was up for grabs and you knew, you know, getting this one right is probably going to go a long way in, yep. in me getting it right. If I had said to you, mate, don't worry about this one because you're going to be doing a test in two years. That's going to be really important. You yeah, would have been imagine. like, bugger off. Like, yeah. not a chance. But now... Now you've got a test match under your belt. A shield game's easy. Like, it's sort of, you know, yeah, it's interesting how it all works. With the processes, because you're, you're learning from each wicket. You know that you you can fall back on the science. You can fall back on your testing results. And you've got that information there ready. So if, say for example, you know, I do all this testing on the wicket and I can see the moisture is in the right. Those, those numbers in front of me, although they're not accurate, if I see those numbers in front of me in, in the testing column, I know, geez, I'm on track. This is good. Yeah. But without that testing to fall back on, yeah, you know, I'm like, I'm flying and blind here. No I've got idea. no idea. It's a sample size, and the more you do something, the more you, the more you've experienced. Like as you know, as I always talk about on the podcast, and that's all I ever talk about. I run, and I know. When I first started running, I was like is that leg supposed to feel like that? Am I supposed to feel tired like this? But yep. after you've done it a hundred times, it's like, I know that when I get to 8Ks, that hamstring's going to be tight. Nice but I know flex, it... At, nice flex to 8Ks. 8Ks. I mean, I've been walking and crying most of the time, but but I got it. And then I know when I get, when I get to 12, it'll start to not hurt because yep. by then my hip will be hurting and it'll be a new thing. And it's sort of, yeah, it's like you have all this lived experience, I guess. It's sort of a metaphor for life almost, if you want to say... Like yeah. that, that you have all these examples of when when things worked and when they went well. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Now, in terms of, there's a great quote about the man in the arena, and it's so good that I've completely forgot it, uh, <laughs> and I need to I need to get back to it. But um, in terms of opinions, now the quote's sort of about the man in the um, the man in the arena. It's like this adage or this proverb, I suppose, where in gladiator days the man in the arena and everyone around has an opinion but the only opinions that matter are those either himself because he's in the arena or those with him in the arena because they're the only ones that really understand it yeah of course now you prepping a test match every everyone is going to (laughs) have opinions like my dad will not watch any cricket and then the test match will be on and he'll be like oh this 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 deck shit <laughs> now what's it like because everyone everyone has an opinion whether or not you know anything about cricket yeah of course everyone has an opinion and it's you know obviously facebook is is great for for, for <laughs> something some positive yeah you know can't think of any right now but sure <laughs> <laughs> but it's also it's uh you know curators know that uh, before a big game, during a big game, after a big game, it's uh, it's pretty much the main source of I wouldn't say abuse, but just negative negativity. That someone's always nitpicking at something, you know. Um, but you know, you, you're told pretty early that if you're gonna listen to Facebook comments and really go looking for it. You know, I'm, if I'm at the test match searching WA cricket, Isaac McDonald curator, and going through the Facebook comments. That's not right. That's not the right thing to do. There's yeah. no positive outcome from that whatsoever. Um, but sometimes you can't avoid it. And obviously, like, when you can't avoid it is when you get caught off guard and you're like, Fuck. Yeah, Or when you're walking along, you know, and you're walking and you hear someone say something that's 
related or you're thinking what yeah. are people saying and stuff like that how do you go about dealing with that side of side of stuff I, I think I, I always bring it back to okay so most of the commentators for cricket now are ex-players right and their job is it's in their title comment on yeah the play yeah everyone's going to have a comment but it's not necessarily the, the, always the right comment um, you know for example a few big bash games ago we were Fox only yeah and Fox don't send the commentating team to Perth they mm-hmm commentate from a little box in Sydney watching the same vision you would watch on TV yeah so if you they're going to make a comment about the wicket three hours time difference and 4,000 kilometers away yeah. you know it's not quite valid yeah so I always just come back to that you know has this person got accreditation yeah. credibility to, to even be yeah. commenting if yes okay maybe think about it a bit more but if no then it just crosses out any yeah. comment whatsoever yeah so it sort of is that man in the arena where it's like unless you're here and unless you know yeah um you it's irrelevant yeah or it, it, I mean every, every feedback you can take on board it's just depending what you do with it you know now you talked about earlier you, you had a quote about people doubting a 25 year old head curator and saying what's this bloke like I guess one have you had do you is that something that you're guessing that people said because i'm sure there's lots of people in the world i'm sure someone said oh wow there's 25 yeah i'm or is there it's just i'm very okay head curator mold 40 to 50 to 60 years of experience in first class cricket before they even get a sniff at test cricket i feel like most of them look the same you know just a bit overweight (laughs) like thinning thinning. they do mostly look the same they might yeah, most, but not all. Not all. Not all. Yeah. Um, me? <laughs> you, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'll put a photo of you with the podcast so people don't know. <laughs> no, but did you... It's natural to have those feelings. And even if you're not scrolling through Facebook, it's natural to have the feelings of being like, oh, I think people might think this pitch is Yeah, I think, terrible. I think you know, more, more of that is probably me having a bit of self-doubt. Yep. You know, like people, people, like, there's no secret. Like, I don't have 20 years first-class experience. Um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to have this job, and so far, so, so, so far going so pretty good. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, I definitely don't fit the mould of the traditional test curator. Um, but there is there's a few guys coming through who are similar age, just a touch older, um, who are now giving up getting opportunities at, at venues with a bit more importance and and kind of I suppose there's like a new wave coming through of, of curators it's not a very popular job I'm not sure if you've met any professional cricket curators in your time I actually weirdly I do know a few oh really yeah well there, there you go but you know growing up in Sydney there's like you meet a lot of green keepers but you don't you don't meet okay my job is purely just to make cricket pitches yeah um it's kind of like an old man's hobby. You think of, you know, the guy that goes down to the local cricket club on a Thursday, sits on the roller in his shorts and his thongs eating a pie with yeah. a dory hanging out of his mouth. Like, yeah. it's, it's an old man's hobby, but I suppose I'm quite lucky to, to do it at two, two pretty great venues. It's, it's interesting you talked about the self-doubt because we all have it. And I, it's a weird thing to say, but I'm very proud of you for being able to address that. Because a lot of people can externalise the way they're feeling and be like, I bet these folks are talking about me. I bet the crowd are talking about me. Like, they must be pricks. Like, these guys are pricks, you know? They're the problem. But it's very... Whenever I'm feeling a negative emotion or grumpy or angry about something or someone, I look inward and go, oh, that's because I'm feeling X. I'm feeling Y. When, when do you work out that you got a bit of self-doubt and stuff is that something that came naturally have you always sort of understood that relationship or is that something you had to figure out i i reckon i i understood it to an extent but but now i i know that in a in a man like managerial role you kind of have to have some way of of disguising it you know if you're if i'm fully stressed and running a million miles an hour what are what are the staff under me gonna think yeah because it's, it's gonna be infectious and the whole all the wheels will fall off and you know we're back to square one there's not achieved anything by running around like a headless chook yeah like my um 
my arena manager, who actually works alongside at the Wacker, says you can always be calm like a duck, duck underwater. You know the yeah, feet. Yeah. So uh, that always sticks with me, especially now that that I'm such like in this role now. You've got to kind of really keep it together. Yeah. Otherwise. It's going to be infectious, and it's just going to flow further down, further down, further down. It's just things aren't going to work. Yeah. Now, in terms of obviously, we've talked about some some low stuff. We talked about some high stuff. Let's let's get real positive. Obviously, you must have had a pretty sick weekend. I'm imagining, like in terms of <laughs> Saturday night. Um, I don't I don't want to go through all the all the details. Um, I'm sure, but in terms of Saturday. Talk me through Saturday and then Saturday night. I think it's really cool. One thing after the Sheffield Shield, I was very jealous of you because, you know, you're hanging out with all these guys and you're there, you're holding the shield. Um, now tell me a little bit about your time. And it must be cool that they appreciate you, like the guys would get around yeah, you. And, yeah, it's definitely not. Or is that not the case? You just walk in and like, hey, guys, <laughs> I mowed the wicket. Can I, can, can I hang out? No, no, we're, we're very lucky that, the, the the turf crew and WA cricket players have a um, a really good good respecting culture for each other. Yeah. Uh, it definitely hasn't been like that the whole time. And you're a pretty young crew as well, so probably a lot yeah. of you guys would be around similar ages to the players, which would be yeah, handy, essentially. I can imagine. Um, but yeah, it's not like that. Everywhere else I've worked, essentially, is you know we we get into our work, players come, and there's no real quite interaction. Um, so yeah, it's it, we're we're very lucky that that we are given opportunities and invited into the to, to the rooms to experience, uh, you know, winning winning flags. Yeah. It's it's pretty special. How does that come about? Like obviously the the shield example I mentioned and the and the big bash. Obviously, you, um, how do the celebrations come about? Do they always invite you in? What yeah? What goes on? Essentially, they um, either coach or SNC or skip come across and say look you've got to join us for for a drink uh, in the sheds afterwards we like we want to celebrate this is pretty special um and i, I you know that's that's like one of the main reasons that you get up and go to work and work your guts out every day knowing that you're appreciated by the people who are using your facilities so and these blokes are like rock stars like that was the most of australia and a lot of the cricket watching people a lot of people love the big bash that was the that was the big stage mate and these 11 blokes have been like Cooper Connolly and stuff like that they're you know they're national news yeah, and exactly you're getting right. to be with them in one of their best moments that must be pretty pretty cool for you hey? it is it is really cool and like maybe in the last maybe few months I, I really started to reflect on how big winning a Sheffield Shield in WA was yeah you know I'm, I'm not from here the drought means Pretty, did mean little to me yeah. but being a part of something that was so special you know 20, 22 years 20 years is a long time for a professional team to be playing something and not ever take the, the yeah. top the yeah. top gong um, and, and being a part of it here and seeing how many people it meant so much to yeah. was just a, a crazy thing to be to be a part of and, and I'm sure like in a few months time um, I'll, like, it'll just sink in and say Jesus Christ, that was so cool. Yeah. It was unreal. Now, you mentioned, I mentioned before in my um, gratefulness about my, my granddad, who I was with today, um, but he's a member of the Wacker. He's been a member for, for years. Unfortunately, he was, um, he's a bit crook at the moment, so he didn't get to the Sheffield Shield final. But in terms of your, your relationship to the Wacker, like it's this massive, prestigious, historic brand, and you're a sort of a custodian I guess you talked about the drought and them bringing home a shield and stuff. We've got the historic scoreboard and stuff over in the in the foreground. What's it? What's it like? The sort of responsibility of being in control of these iconic wickets that've been iconic for for years, mate. Since you know, since cricket started being yeah, played exactly right. over exactly here. Right, and you just think, like I, I didn't really fully understand the history of the Wacker until uh, I started working here and started looking back at things and, you know, Matty Hayden's going 380 against Zimbabwe at that time, highest test score. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, and names like Marsh, Lily. Yeah. Like, just pioneers of the game. Um, and then here I am, 
standing in the middle of the ground and it's my job to look after the wicket that has hosted so many great events. Like, it's it's unbelievable, eh? Yeah. I love it so much. Um, but just think, with this new redevelopment and how much money the WA cricket and government are putting into it, how many more moments like that are we going to see? Like, yeah. Shield wins, WNCL wins, um, Women's Big Bash wins here. Um, you know, it's just endless. In terms of when you go back and you've just got a job offer to drop out of school and you haven't told your mum and she was probably a bit <laughs> dirty with you at the time, could you have believed that fast forward, you know, sort of less than a decade, I suppose, you mate, you're, you're here, as you said, you had where Lily used to kick off the side screen and all these incredible memories. I, I grew up, we'd knock off school across the road and come and... One of my favourite memories is playing cricket with a mate up on that bank over there. Yeah, like of this course. is, um, yeah, it's in, it's in, it's incredible, mate. Can you? So you are sort of trying to let that sink in. Is that something that you actively do? Try and yeah, I try and appreciate of, it. Think of all the, I wouldn't say risks, but all the opportunities that I've been lucky to get given, and they've kind of just paid off. You know, you 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 hear people are. Oh, slogging out work hours I'm, I'm really really struggling it's just not coming you know you could be an athlete on the fringe of selection for a team and for whatever reason you don't get picked again and that could just be like the straw that that breaks the dream whereas I'm quite lucky you know I, I was giving a given a job offer quite quite young and it just worked until you know <laughs> I couldn't work anymore and then that that transpired in another drop off and I took that and worked hard and like there's like I'm, I'm not shying away from it. I I worked so hard but it's because I just wanted to succeed and I, I suppose I'm at a level at 25 now where most curators can only dream of yeah and it's quite lucky um, but now I'm at a point where okay yeah test week it was good how do I get it very good yeah now it's it's good stuff I've only got a few few more for you one of the things you said in your in your first answer one of your first answers and I wrote this down straight away you talked about being in the right place at the right time and we had on my last episode had a basketballer her name's Sammy Whitcomb go out and check it out you would have already listened to it once or twice because you're a big fan I hear um so many hours on the roller mate there's (laughs) podcast galore podcasts are in I have to keep churning some more out for you now she talked about just being ready she needed one opportunity just being ready now it's all well and good to be in the right place right time it's all well and good to be a curator here when the spot opens but you have to be the best the guy that they're willing to give the nod to so it takes more effort than just being yeah. right place right time they didn't draw it out of a hat you must have been standing out at the time can you talk to me about always being ready and making sure you're putting your best foot forward yeah i suppose i suppose um you kind of can't rely on your training like an athlete doesn't really fall back and say oh, okay, I'm going to make sure I'm hitting this time trial and, and staying ready when the, when the call comes I'm going to be like that um, it's more more like yes you've got to provide the wickets at a certain standard but it probably comes down to being a good person as well yeah. you know you can be making the, the most outstanding wickets in the world but if you're going to be someone who is you know talks down to staff or it's just not pleasant to be around I think you're kind of going to fall out of favour it's going to even itself out pretty quick but if you're trying to be the, the best person you can be uh, encourage others um, and just be a, like a good I want to say good good person like it's I, f- I find it something that is more important than kind of being a good at your craft sometimes you know it's interesting Jake Harvey who was on a few episodes ago the hockey player he talked about he said that he firmly believes that good people make good athletes but great people make great athletes well, and it's yeah there you go it's the kind of similar thing yes and that is what separates you can be what separates you um so it's really yeah, interesting no doubt. No that doubt. you talked about that now we talked a lot about right place right time and obviously you've been working hard and we've talked about pressure and stuff but i always try and get people to to sum up their sort of episode i guess along along the lines of a theme and maybe give one piece of advice. Now, it can be completely random. I have my brother on, my brother Dylan, yep. who you've met, I believe. Yes. And he said, 
uh, I said, what's an advice that you give to your 18-year-old self? And he said, skincare. So that was what he went with. But I don't know, I don't know if yours, you want yours to be about skincare, but what is, what's some advice that you, would, that you would give to someone who's maybe starting out in a career, maybe yeah. there? I mean, it's not all going to be... be no one gonna say this. it's not all gonna be all the glorious stuff all the time like you just gotta kind of gotta ride the wave and know that if you do there's got to be positive outcome as long as you're putting in the hard work i'm sure some people have seen this video and the math doesn't quite check out but there's a video on instagram of this girl who was training for the olympics and she talks about the 30 30 30 rule yeah. of training for the olympics where she says 30 percent of the time you're going to be having fun 30% is going to be okay, and 30% is going to really suck. Yeah, exactly right. And that's any meaningful pursuit. There's probably, this is quite a meaningful pursuit for you, your career, and um, obviously it brings a lot of joy to a lot of people. So sometimes it's going to be great, sometimes it's going to be like, yeah, yeah, and sometimes it's going to, it's going to suck. So it's not going to be enjoyable. I guess that's sort of what you were talking about. Now, I have a fan question. Actually. Do you really? Yeah. <laughs> in my, in my, no, 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 don't get too carried away. I was just on the way here, actually. Yeah. And I was with a friend who I mentioned in my gratefulness as well. Yep. Uh, now, she had two questions. Go for it. The first one, this was the one, her name's Rachel. This is the first one she had on the top, off the top of her head was, how do you get the grass so bouncy? <laughs> uh, and then she decided that she might, she might need a, a brainstorm a little bit more. So she ended up going, I know that you said that you were a kid growing up watching cricket and stuff. Yep. Who was your favourite cricketer growing up, mate? Michael Hussey. Mike Hussey. Oh, he's just a genuine, all-ground good person, and he was so good at cricket. Like, yeah. And I I actually got to meet him for the first time this year. Amazing. And I, my mouth was on the floor. I couldn't believe it. Here he is yeah. in person asking me about my wicket and what's it going to do so he can talk to the broadcast about the wicket. He's yeah. going to pick my brain about the cricket wicket. What if I told you he was my favourite cricketer growing up? I can believe that 100%. And so is he he's, like him. He's, he's unbelievable. Amazing. Oh. And WA Roots, so maybe it's exactly. meant to be that you ended up here. Could be, could be. And he's also an example of being, always being ready, because obviously he had to slug it out in domestic Yeah, he played cricket. domestic first-class cricket for a long time, a long time before, before he got, the yeah, got a chance at international honours. And, I mean, he took it with both hands, <laughs> he hey? He sure did. And that's what you're doing, I suppose, as well. Now, mate, I've had um, such a great time. Obviously, we were trying to organise where to do this. And when you said, how about we do it in the stands of the Wacker, my heart just lit up. <laughs> and I was like, sure. I went to security out the front. You were like, just come through where the, where the cars come in, mate. Just went to security. Oh, I'm here, here for Isaac, boys. So I might be trying that out later <laughs> on as well. I might be, Probably I might were. Be, I might be back, I reckon. But um, no, nah, it's been so special, mate. Thanks very much for coming on. Very proud of you and all you're achieving. Um, can't wait to see what's next in, uh, I guess, going from the Wacker being the iconic venue and turning that into Optus probably and making test matches there, ones for the for the whole world to watch, mate. Thank you very much for, for coming on. No, thanks for having me. Loved it. Another episode in the books and, and what a great chat it was. I had so much fun recording the episode and Isaac turned to me actually afterwards and said that he had fun too. So so that's good that the guests that I'm getting on board, it's not just a chore for them. Isaac seemed to have a bit of fun as well, which was which was cool. It was great to have him on board. He's a he's a great man. One thing that was really interesting that he spoke about was um, the thing that may have separated him and may have got him into the role was just making sure that he's a good person. Um, he said that he's not necessarily um, that much better at his job than the next guy, but he's a good person. Um, he's a good leader. And one thing that I always think about, leaders aren't necessarily um, always talking and stuff. To be a good leader, you have to be a good listener. You have to listen to other people. Um, you have to be caring and understand people. And I think he's definitely doing that as part of his role, which is which is really cool. He's um, He's got people working underneath him. And as he said, you can't just be um, grumpy or crazy, you, you've got to be. You've got to be a kind person and a, and a good person. And it was really interesting that he talked about that. Um, another episode in the books. How exciting! It's. I'm really excited to see how Isaac goes in his career um, and reinstating sort of Perth, the Perth Test as as one of the as one of the biggest events on the cricket cricketing world calendar. As it as it should be again. Um, I'm obviously a bit biased when I say that because I love watching Test cricket in Perth. 
Um, and I think he's, I think we're in good hands. Um, he's, he's pretty cool fella. Um, and he's doing well. So fingers crossed for the future. Thank you very much for listening to another episode. Make sure you like, subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review and tell your friends about the show. That's about enough for today. Check in on your mind, check in on your mates and I'll see you next time.